Amen. That was a blessing. Did you enjoy that song? Especially the wonderful message. Amen. Thank you, Sister uh, Naomi, our youngest Naomi. Now, she looks young, but she's already, uh, I'm not going to mention her name, but uh, she's still feeling young, looking young. She just, I think, almost done with college. Thank God for the Lord's provision. And we thank God for all our young people for giving their talents unto the Lord, voices unto Him. You know, you can never uh, compare a life of service to God, isn't it? And it always beats what the world offers. And uh, in our Sunday school this morning, uh, Psalms 139 verse 14, I think correlates to that song, the special music that we've heard. It says, I will praise thee for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works and that my soul knoweth right well. And it says also in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Aren't you glad we can worship the Lord today? Amen. Amen. It's a beautiful Sunday morning on the first Sunday of the month of February. And I, I really love this month. You know why? Because it's February, you know. And... Um, Next, next coming Sunday, uh, February the 13th, um, Pastor Max's favorite number, we'll uh, celebrate the love of God in our hearts, in our lives, and in the midst of our church. So uh, later on, we'll be hearing more about that. We'll uh, have an agape kind of fellowship here in the church for uh, the afternoon as we celebrate the love of uh, the couples, uh, the love of each other toward the uh, the membership of this church, our love toward God and this church, and uh, everybody's invited. So looking forward, and as you know, February is uh, a love month because of the traditional Valentine's Day, but for a child of God, the love of God is uh, always there for us, isn't it? Uh, every day, we always feel it, the love of our Savior. And uh, I'm excited to um, share God's word today, and uh, I just want to praise and thank God for last Sunday. For our church being able to celebrate its 34th year anniversary and um, we thank God for the wonderful message and even the wonderful fellowship that we had after the service, even the latest fellowship, even this uh, vision, this burden that was presented to us, uh, what we call Nehemiah Project. You still remember? Nehemiah Project because uh, we can see a need we can see a burden, we can see a very positive potential growth of our church, expanding our church in uh, praying, first and foremost, for a bigger and a better property, you know, church building, church lot that the Lord will give to us in the future. And we had truly enjoyed this place, amen, through the years, since 1995, with all its uh, renovation, with everything that has been done here all the 50th golden wedding anniversary celebration, the 25th year silver wedding uh, celebration, the baby dedications, the baptisms, the Sunday school classes, the preaching of God's word, even the viewing and funerals that we had. So this place had been wonderfully used by God and our uh, pastoral staff together with our deacons and of course the officers uh, had felt in our hearts that maybe God has something great and wonderful in store for us for the coming year. So that's why we presented that Nehemiah Project, that wonderful video. So we can start praying right now. Amen? 
praying and saving and just looking forward for what the Lord has in store for our church. So with that thought, it prompted me to uh, start a new series of uh, Sunday morning sermons and lessons found from the book of Nehemiah. Nehemiah. Uh, I love this wonderful book in the Bible. So if we can please turn there, we'll uh, bring an introduction of this study. Uh, we prepare uh, at least a dozen lessons from this um, book, wonderful book. And uh, this also uh, helps other, our other pastors here to prepare their message and sermon. And here in our church, we have a certain emphasis every month, like February is the stewardship, isn't it? Uh, finance month, both February and March. So our deacons also who prepares messages on Wednesday evening services can also get those uh, lessons in, uh, ready so they have an idea because of the main theme. And of course, whatever the Lord has laid upon their hearts to preach and teach, and we know that God's word is always relevant. Amen? And when you pray and you ask the Lord for a message, and when you see the need in the congregation, when you see the need among God's people, then God will give you a message. But it's good for me to study uh, a series of lessons, so we'll be uh, able to study God's word book by book, uh, verse by verse, line after line, chapter by chapter chapter until the Lord comes. Amen? Uh, we did this with the book of Revelation. I wish I could go from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Probably I'll be uh, 80 years old when we're done, if the Lord Darius is coming. But at least we can study some books. Uh, we studied the book of Exodus before uh, Revelation, uh, Matthew also, especially chapter 24 about the end times. So, but right now, since we have this burden project in our hearts, I'd like to give some series of messages from the book of Nehemiah. So, have you found it in your Bible? Amen. It's easy to find because it's in the Old Testament. After my favorite person in the world, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then Esther. There you go. You see those three books? They are, you know, uh, contemporaries because they were written after the post- exilic of the Israelite people. So let's all stand and we will just read verses 1 to 4. And it's always good to bring your Bibles. Amen? The tangible Word of God. Uh, it's good you have electronic device where you have your Bible, but you know what? Anything can happen with those electronic devices. You can run out of juice. You can get sap. <laughs> or somebody can just like hack it. But if you have the Bible, Amen? It will never, you know, run out of juice. It will never be zapped or hacked. It will always be available, you know, and you can put notes on it. So let's bring our Bibles with that every time. Amen? Preachers, teachers, uh, members, because this is God's love letter to us. So before we read God's word, I'd like you to uh, look at your uh, fellow seatmate, your brother or sister in the Lord, and say these words. I love you in the love of the Lord. All right, thank you. Mean it. <laughs> I know you mean it. All right? Since it's the love month, amen? And, you know, from the heart, the agape kind of love. I love you in the love of the Lord. And you know what? That's what Christ told his disciples to those people who follow him. The world will truly know that ye are my disciples if ye love one another. And love is not just a word. It's action. Amen? We show it in our action by our good deeds and concern toward one another. So we will read it all together, then we'll have a word of prayer. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. Let's begin reading together. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, 
And it came to pass in the month of Chisleu, in the twentieth year, as I was in Sushan, the palace, that Hanani, one of my brethren, came, and certain men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left of the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said unto me, The remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we are praying before thee, O Lord, with uh, humble hearts, with, Lord, the realization and acknowledgement that we are nothing apart from you, O Lord. Thank you for your mercy and grace that are truly new every morning. Truly, Lord, your compassions fail not. Truly, Lord, great is thy faithfulness. We are here because you are faithful, O God. Despite of us, despite of our unfaithfulness, our shortcomings, uh, things that we've done before you that was displeasing, Lord, uh, you still saw fit to bless us with another day of life. And we, do, we don't want to take it for granted, O Father. We just want to thank you first and foremost for the so great salvation that we have in Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that uh, we have uh, brethren here who recently got saved, like Brother Calito and also Brother Alan. And thank you, Lord, that they have found you. They have found the God of love. They have found the time to be able to understand and, and realize that they need a Savior, that the gospel is truly the good news that Jesus had died for our sins that he had, he had been buried and he rose again. And now he's in heaven, Lord, praying for us, in, interceding for us, and also motivating and inspiring and encouraging the people of God to be a witness for him. Thank you, Lord, for this salvation, because without it, Lord, we are forever, Lord, be separated from you. And also, Lord, thank you for the day-to-day -day blessings. Lord, we cannot count them. The spiritual blessings alone is... Uh, overwhelming let alone lord the material physical temporal blessings that you faithfully shower to us so there's no reason lord that we cannot worship you today there is no reason lord that we can lend you these next few uh moments and hour undividedly for your sake lord as we listen and hear your word and once again lord as your people as your ecclesia, as your church, we come to you and ask for your forgiveness and cleansing, Lord. If you see any sins in our hearts, any iniquity, any trespasses, anything, Lord, that will distract us from thy holy presence, we pray, Lord, for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, for your cleansing. May your servant, Lord, be used as your instrument of thy grace. Lord, I'm nothing without you. I'm not knowledgeable and I have a lot of limitations, but we pray that your word and, and the message and the, the lesson this morning will be the one, Lord, that will be heard and that the name of Christ will be magnified in our midst. Keep us safe, Lord, and we pray also for your blessings for our brethren who are not able to make it today, who are watching with us virtually, and for those who are in the bed of sickness, may you raise them up, O Father, and bless us with thy spiritual truth today, for we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with me. I'd just like to uh, start this message with a little light humor. If I ask you a Bible trivia, who is, can you name me a short person in the Bible? 
There you go. I, I think that's one of the major general answers when you ask that question. We know Zacchaeus is a, a man who's challenged vertically, you know? A man who's challenged as a, a short guy. And we know his, uh, what we call this, vocation. He was a tax collector. And the people during the time of Jesus hate him because he works for the enemy. He works for the Roman Empire. And, you know, tax collectors are, during that time, are vile sinners because they are greedy. They charge more people than they used to pay. And out of that, they get rich. So nobody here likes to pay their taxes, isn't it? You hate it when you get a mail from the IRS, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> that's our civic duties, you know? Uh, to pay our taxes, to, to be uh, submissive to the government in those uh, uh, good things, wonderful things, because God told us in his word that they are a minister to us, isn't it? To keep the peace and tranquility in a nation, in society. And we know there's no perfect government, there's no perfect president, mayor or governor, but we need to pray for them, amen? And you know, you see your taxes at work. You see that in highway construction, isn't it? You see that in the school where you're, your kids go in a public school. So you pay your taxes and it do you good. Amen? We just had some snow. And if, you, if people will not pay their taxes, how can the government fund the cleanup? You know, the salting, the treating of the road so you can go to work, isn't it? Or go to your uh, school. So this name, guy named Zacchaeus is such a tax collector. And we know that he heard about the fame of Jesus, isn't it? And he wants to see Jesus, but he was vertically challenged. So he climbed a sycamore tree. Like uh, they said that sycamore tree is a, a hard tree to climb. He has some like sharp thorns and thistles and maybe slippery like a coconut tree in the Philippines, you know. Uh, how many of you who grew up in the Philippines had tried that? Try to climb a coconut tree, not a makapuno tree because that's really short, you know. You can easily get those uh, coconuts just by poking them with a pole or like climbing, but uh, those long copra coconut tree, you know, especially in the south, really high, what, 15 feet, 10 feet. You, these climbers are really experts, isn't it? They have to like make a way, a path on the side, you know, with their jungle bolo so they could have uh, something to grip on. So what happened to Zacchaeus? He's curious about Jesus because he heard a lot of great things about him and he wanted to see him and he climbed a sycamore tree and Jesus knew that there was a short guy on that branch, and he called him by name, Zacchaeus, I will come to your house, and we know what had happened, we know the story, isn't it, God, Jesus Christ, gloriously saved him, and we know he was converted, because there was a change of heart, there was a change of action, he said, Lord, if I wrong somebody, if I fool them, by charging them too much, I will return it to them in manifold ways, and he became a follower of Jesus, so good, Zacchaeus, about another person that you know that's short, in the Bible. There you, there you go. Our study here is one of uh, the short people in, because Nehi, Maya, he's just a Nehi guy. No, there's one that's even shorter than Nehi Maya. You know whose name is it? It is Bildan, the shoe height. <laughs> but there's even somebody who's shorter than Bildan, the shoe height. You know who it is? It is the centurion, because the Bible says he slept in his watch. Oh, just kidding. There you go. You'll, you'll get it la later. He slept in his watch. But this guy that we're talking about is Nehemiah, and his name means 
the Lord comforts. All right? There are three other Nehemiahs mentioned in the scripture. There's Nehemiah in chapter 3, verse 16, and chapter 7, verse 7, and even Ezra, chapter 2, verse 2. But Nehemiah is distinguished from these other Nehemiahs by the, his father's name, who is Hakaliah. All right? That distinguishes him from those other same name. All right? And uh, I love Nehemiah because he's such a great character in the Bible. And the Bible sometimes compares the building because Nehemiah is a great builder, constructionist. The Bible sometimes compares the building of the work of God, the church, with the building of a building. All right? Uh, we'll have some, uh, there you go, we have that slide there. You see the walls? All right. When you hear the word Nehemiah in the Bible, you associate him about the rebuilding of the walls in Jerusalem. And look at that. He had a sword because he will experience criticism, opposition from within and from without. But he's such a great leader, organizer. And we will see as the series go on how God used him for his glory. Next slide. All right. We have a verse of scripture in Acts 9.31. As the Bible compares the building of the work of God with a literal physical building here on earth, the Bible says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. If you take the context of this verse, the church were severely persecuted, you know, but they were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And we see the word edified. It simply means to build up, to build up. So the church were edified after being persecuted, after being tested their faith. They still grew. They still start building and growing wherever they go. So edified means to build up. It's where we get the word edifice. All right? Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. As the Bible declares in Matthew 16 verse 18 Matthew 16 verse 18 of course a church is not a building amen it is a body it is a body as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 9 for we speaking to the Corinthian believers are laborers no we are servants we are workers together with God ye are God's husbandry you know a husbandry is a vineyard where during this time they grow uh, grapes, uh, that's a husbandry, ye are also God's building. So we can say a church is not a building, it's not just a building, it is a body. Let's look at other passages of scripture. Maybe Brother uh, Gilbert can help me with this. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 and 8. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 3 to 8, pertaining the church as not just this building, but really it was compared it was paralleled to a body. Romans 12, verse 3 to 8, the Bible says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think, what, folks, what church? Soberly, according as God had dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, it, as our body parts as many parts, you know, and all members have not the same office compared to the church, 
There are a lot of members, but not the same gifts, the same, you know, uh, roles. Everybody has been given at least one spiritual gift, a talent, you know, a gift to be used for the benefit of the whole body, of the whole church. So we, in verse 5, being many, are one. What is it again, folks? Body. One body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that, had, that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, amen, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth or administration with diligence, he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. The, here it listed the spiritual gifts that God has granted his church, his body, to be used for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. How about Colossians chapter 1? Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, up to 18. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 to 18. We're talking about the church, not just a building, but it was typified as a body, as a body. Colossians 1, 12, the Bible says, Giving thanks unto the Father, which had made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who had delivered us from the power of darkness, and had translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Can I hear an amen for that? Amen. Who had delivered us, praise be to God. Verse 14, In whom also we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him, Jesus Christ, and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. So Jesus Christ did not just create everything. He put everything in its rightful place. He holds everything together. Amen? Such a powerful Savior. Amen? Such a powerful God. And look at that in verse 18. And he is, pertaining to Jesus, the head of the body. He is the head of the church. He is the head of the body of Christ, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. How about 1 Corinthians chapter 12? 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and also verse 27. All right? Let's look to the Word of God. The Bible says, For us the, what is it, folks, church? Body is one, and had many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. How about verse 27? Let's jump there. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Oh, I still remember that um, vacation Bible school that uh, the Psalter, you know, with the song, I am the eye, I am the brain, you know, and we're all part of the body of Christ. That's a wonderful song, really. Wonderful truth about the church, not just the structure, the building, but a body. As we all know, the church is not just an organization. Yes, this is an organization, but we know that it's also a living organism. Amen? Breathing entity. It needs health. It needs growth. And God wants to build this church, any church that loves him, 
He wants to build it, bless it, and grow it. Amen? And I hope and pray that's also our prayer in heart's desire as a member of this church. By the grace of God, we will build the word of God, we will grow it, and we will bless it and help it and support it with everything we've got. Amen? Because we are, once again, 1 Corinthians 3.9, laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Ye are God's building. So, the key is, if we build people, the church will be automatically be built. Amen? If we build people, the church will automatically be built. Because the church is the people. It's you and me. We are the one who builds the church. Amen? I thank and praise God because, you know, as we always remember, Pastor Max, uh, when he started this church 34 years ago, he had a vision and a burden to build every one of you, especially those who started with him. Amen? And it took a lot of patience. It took a lot of hard work. It took a lot of prayer. It took a lot of devotion because as our deacons had preached, you know, they admire Pastor Max because everybody has different personalities. Everybody has different backgrounds. Everybody has different moods, especially the ladies, isn't it? Sometimes, you know. But he learned to adapt and be flexible and just teach the Word of God and build and train and, and encourage men and ladies. You know what? I can see that you have this spiritual gift. I can see that you can be used in this ministry. Why not take the challenge? Why not take that position? Amen? Do you remember when he, he did that to you? He prayed with you. He encouraged you, inspired you. I think you can be used in this ministry. I think you can teach a Sunday school. I think you can preach the word of God. I think you can lead a Bible study. And then you respond to the challenge by the grace of God, by this training, by this inspiration, I'll take it up. I'll obey the calling of the Lord in my life. And you know what? It had bo bore fruit. Amen? And you are here now. Amen? Having a ministry of your own through this church. You know, there was a story about building up people. There was a cattle rancher who got saved and he surrendered to preach. Marble in Texas. So he went to a Bible conference which was all about how to build a crowd. He asked about it later. He said, it was strange. In all of my years as a cattle rancher, I never had to go to a conference to learn how to get the cows to come to the feeding trough. I always just figured that if he put out good feed, the cows will come. Well, I'm not calling you a bunch of cows. Amen? Just making a point. Amen? So my job as a pastor is not primarily to build a church in a sense but my primary job is to put out a good feed. Amen? Is to, is to study, is to pray. The primary job of our deacons, one of their best job in this church as they preach and teach is to put out a good feed. A good feeding of God's word every now and then when they stand and teach, isn't it? Because that's the time we're edified. We are built up. You know? And so we should not be about just building a church as much as building people. You build a church one person at a time. You see, 34 years. I can still see the faces of the people who started with Pastor Max. I, I saw those old pictures 30 years ago. 
by the grace of God, they're still here. Some are not here anymore. Some have fallen on the wayside. Some had backslided. Some are cold-hearted. But, you know, there's still hope for them. Amen? They still come back to the work of God. God is still a God of second, third, many chances. It's up to them. Amen? God has still a welcoming arm. You know, they could still be used. God is merciful. But for those who are still here, you know, I'm not, you know, trying to lift up your chair, so to speak, but by the grace of God, by his mercy, you are still here. Keep it up. Keep on pressing on. You should build a church one person at a time. I thank God for Pastor Max's training to our deacons, to our church officers, to our members here. You see, in every church, there are three kinds of people. All right? There's what we call, they all, uh, I don't know why they all end up with East. No? There are the distractionists, the obstructionists, and the constructionists. The distractionists, they tear down the work of God. Sad to say, amen? Sad to say, and we know God's judgment will be upon him. Look at some example, Alexander the coppersmith. Remember him? Paul said he did me so much evil. You know? The Judaizers who preach another gospel, who preach that you need to keep the law. Oh yeah, you can believe in Jesus. And they sow discord. That's not just an app, you know, but they sow discord and confusion and doubt. You know, they're trying to destroy the work of How about the obstructionists? They get in the way of the work of God, like Sanbalat, the Horonite, in our study, you know, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, and Gishan, the Arab, who opposed Nehemiah in rebuilding the walls in Jerusalem. How about in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, who robbed God? who was dishonest to God, and God has to smite them, struck them instantaneously to warn the other believers to be serious in their walk with God. But I love this. Constructionists. Amen? They assist in building the work of God. i rather die before I become those two. Amen? By the grace of God. I want to be a construction worker. Wow. It's a noble job. Amen? <laughs> Constructionist. How about uh, John Mark? Isn't it? In the Bible, who was profitable? And Apostle Paul said he recommended, take John Mark with you because he's such, you know, an asset to the ministry. How about Barnabas, the son of uh, Consolation? How about Aquila and Priscilla, whom God used to assist Paul? These are constructionists. These are builders, workers, supporters. How about Lydia, the seller purple, who started a work in Europe? So Nehemiah is the perfect example of how to be the latter, a good constructionist. He led God's people in rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, which had been destroyed by the enemy. It was the most amazing feat of engineering and construction that you will e ever hear about because they did the work in how many days? Just 52 days. You know, he was such an engineer and architect. He divided the walls. He... Uh, uh, establish a construction crew despite of the enemies attacking him from within and from without, despite of the discouragement, but God used him to rebuild the walls in 52 days. He even fasted more and prayed before coming to Jerusalem for four months. The prayer and the fasting is more than the actual completion of the work. You see something about the power of prayer there. So in this series, we will learn lessons of leadership, organization, dealing with criticism and opposition, lessons on commitment and determination. For the next few 
months. We will ask these three questions. What did it mean? What does it mean now? What does it mean to me? What did it mean then during the time of Nehemiah? What does it mean now in my personal Christian life, even as a church? What does it mean to me though, personally? We need to apply this principle to our lives. And today, we'll just lay the foundation for this series on building. If you remember in your class when you are in high school or probably college, we have a class in journalism. How many have one? Maybe only Risa. In journalism, you know, we learned that the first paragraph of a story is the most important. Isn't it? Do you agree? And that in it, you should answer the who, the what, the when, and the where. So you can understand the rest. Amen? Nehemiah does this in the first several verses that we just read. So let's dive into the message. First is, what is the book of Nehemiah? We'll answer these four questions. Right? In verse 1 of Nehemiah, chapter 1, the Bible says, The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. So we can say that the book of Nehemiah, this is an autobiography of Nehemiah. His memoirs. His testimony of what God did in him and through him. It's always wonderful and great to read and be aware of the testimony of the faithfulness of God to a man or a woman, isn't it? So, what is the book of Nehemiah? You know, this is his testimony of what God had did in him and through him. So, three ways that God, you know, gave us his wonderful testimony. First is God works for us. That means salvation. Also, God works in us. That's sanctification. And God works through us. And that is service. So let me quickly just run to this. God works for us. God's testimony before us. He works for us. That is our sal salvation. Romans 5, 8. You know that passage of scripture. Wherefore, uh, but God commended or demonstrated his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Aren't you glad that God demonstrated his love toward you? While you were still in your sins, while I was still in my sins, unlovable, he sent his only begotten son to die for my sins. He demonstrated it. So love is not just a word, it's an action. He sent Jesus to die on the cross. He sent Jesus to shed his blood to be our ultimate perfect sacrifice. So we will not sacrifice ourselves at all or an animal for the covering of our sin. He sent the Lamb of God. He sent Jesus Christ incarnated in the flesh. That's why it says also in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation. There's no more judgment for sin. There's no more paying of the penalty in hell because Christ had saved us when he died on the cross, when he resurrected from the grave. So God works for us in our salvation. Secondly, God works in us. That is sanctification. Look at Romans 8, 28 and 29. Romans 8, 28 and 29. Sanctification simply means being set apart for God's use. We are set apart. Amen? Aren't you glad? You are set apart. And this is the one that we're working for right now. Amen? Salvation is past and also the present and the future. But salvation, when it comes to ha have our sins forgiven, is like it's a past done deal. Amen? We are already justified. We are declared righteous before God. So if you die today, God forbid, 
you will go straight into the presence of God because God will accept you through the merit of the righteousness of Jesus. When you receive Him in your life as your Savior, you receive that righteousness that Jesus had purchased, had made for you while He was here on earth. Remember, He came here and He lived for 33 and a half years. Why He didn't just came here at 33 years old and go to the cross after a week He was here? How come He has to be born? How come he has to be a boy, a teenager, and an adult? Because he has to fulfill all the law. He has to obey all the commandments. He has to do uh, away with the righteousness that we cannot do as humans because we will fail. So he is the epitome of the fulfillment of everything. That's why when you accept him, you accept also his righteousness, not just the forgiveness of sin. So he did that. Salvation is a done deal. And I know we'll, we'll, be, we are, we'll be saved eternally when we get to heaven, when we receive our glorified bodies. But that's a done deal. We are saved from the penalty of sin. We are being saved right now by the power of sin through sanctification. And one of these days, we'll be saved from the presence of sin in glorification. So, sanctification also has three things. There's what we call positional sanctification. In the book of Ephesians, in the mind of God, we are totally set apart. We are already seated in the heavenlies. That speaks also of our eternal security. That speaks also that as a believer, if you're truly saved, you will never lose your salvation. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It's not like God gives you an everlasting life. You sin, you fail him, he takes it away. It's not a kid like, oh, you know, I don't like you now. I, I'll take the gift that I gave you. No, God is not like that. What he said is always true. He always keep what he says. His promise. I give to them eternal life, he said. And they'll never perish. No man can pluck them out of my hand. In the book of John. So positionally, we are sanctified before God. We are set apart. We are saved. But also there is progressive sanctification. This is what we're working right now. Amen? Being more like Jesus. Trying to read more of his word. Trying to pray. Uh, being, you know, purged, purified through trials and tribulations. You know, exercising our faith, living by faith, walking by faith, worshiping God. This part of this progressive sanctification. It's gradual until we are dead, called home or raptured. And there's what we call the perfect sanctification. That comes when we are set apart before God for all eternity when we get to heaven, when we receive our glorified body. So, Amen, isn't it? Wonderful things from the Word of God, His promises. And lastly, God works through us. Service. And this is also something that we need to focus. We are saved to serve. We are not saved to be a spectator. Ah, titwingin na lang ako. Uy, ang faithful ni brother, sister. Oh, ang faithful ng family na yun. How about you? Amen? You are saved. We are saved to serve. So if I ask you this. If I ask you now to write down how God is using you to build up the Word of God, what would you have to write down? If I ask you today, you don't have to write it down. Amen? You know, magmuni-muni po tayo sa Panginoon. If I ask you now to write down how God is using you currently, I'm not talking about the past or what you want to do in the future, currently, this present day, how is God using you to build up His kingdom, His work? What would you have to write down. What have you done for God's kingdom, for His church lately? Somebody are saying, you are so heavily minded that you're not no earthly good. Or you're so earthly minded that you're not heavenly 
good. But you know what? As Christians, we should be heavily minded. And I know at the same time, we will be earthly good. You know why? Because if you're heavily minded, what you will do here on earth will count towards eternity. If you're heavily minded, what you do here on earth will bless you and bless others. But there are people who are so consumed with earthly things, temporal things. Oh, how can I purchase that? How can I have a bigger that, a better this? How can I be more comfortable? How can I be entertained? And they are leaving out the most important thing in life. They don't have any more time. They, they have time to grow their family. They grow their business. They grow this and that. But they're not having any time in growing the kingdom of God. And that is a sad, sad reality. Isn't it? We are called to be heavenly minded and also to be earthly good. It can go both ways. Amen? What are you doing right now in building, growing the kingdom of God? Growing this church? You know, the words of Nehemiah were something worth writing because God was working in his life. And I hope and pray that God is marvelously still working in our lives today. Because God wants you. God can use you. Amen? He can use you to build something. I mean, like, everything else in this world will fade. Amen? Everything else will be burned up one of these days. So why not, why not build and grow something for the cause of his kingdom. You know, our gathering here is not in vain. It's not a waste of my two hours. Why? Because it is the Lord's day anyway. You know, don't be a robber, you know. God has given you six days. That's such a good deal. And a lot of Christians are also robbing God of the time that he has to have. That's being so ungrateful, isn't it? That is being so, you know, uh, unloving to the one who loved you the most. So God can use you. So what is the book of Nehemiah? His, it is his testimony of what God did in him and through him. And who is Nehemiah? Second question. The son of Hakaliah. To distinguish him from the other two Nehemiahs. All right? And there are three men who played an important role in rebuilding Jerusalem after it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And you know these guys, the Rubabel first. The prince represented the political side there are three uh, coming backs to Judah or Jerusalem, Israel after the captivity. These are the three guys. Ezra, one of my favorite names in the Bible. Amen. Ezra, the priest or the scribe who represented the religious side. Zerubbabel went first, then Ezra. He built the religious and ceremonial uh, uh, worship. So Zerubbabel is like, you know, the, te the temple. Uh, Ezra is the worship. And then Nehemiah, the wall. You know, an ordinary church member, so to speak. Or a layman, an ordinary guy. You know, what an awesome guy that was used by the Lord. He was not a prophet. He was not a priest. He was not even a preacher. He just worked a secular job. He was the king's cupbearer. He was the king's butler. He was the king's most trusted person in the palace, in the court. You know, because as a cupbearer, you taste the food, the drink that the king or the uh, ruler here ever tastes in his mouth. So you are trusted that you will do the right judgment because if somebody would like to, uh, 
you know, uh, kill the king, you'll be the one who will first be killed, isn't it? By poisoning or something. So he was the, one of the most trusted person in the palace. You see, you don't have to be a preacher to be greatly used of God, amen? Our Lord has a way of taking ordinary people like Nehemiah and doing extraordinary things through them, amen? amen. Look at this example. We know his name, uh, this guy, D.L. Moody, amen? who uh, founded the Moody Bible Institute in Chicago. He was never ordained to preach. Don't you know that? He was a salesman. He sells shoes. Who got saved and heard the preacher state that the world has yet to see what God can do with a man completely yielded to him. The world can get to see what God can do to a man who's completely yielded to him. And Moody said, by the grace of God, I'll be that man. He had never been to school and would butcher the English language. They say he could pronounce Mesopotamia in one syllable. Can you do that? But God transformed this ordinary guy into a mighty evangelist that he became. And people are still reading his sermons. The organization he founded is still preaching and training preachers right now. Amen? And missionaries being sent out to the church. As a side note, Moody got a lot of hate mail, and much of it was anonymous. One time in a meeting, he came to the pulpit and found a small note folded there. He opened it to find only one word inside, and inside that note is one word, fool. He told the crowd, in my years, I have received a lot of letters with no signatures, but this is the first time I've ever received a signature with no letter. Truly, it's a fool who opposed what God is going to do through him, isn't it? Anyway, there's no limit to what God can do through you if you'll just decide to let him do it for you. You know, there are preachers, there are pastors, and I think even Pastor Max and myself, we try to get everyone, sometimes on the church, to be on board with a specific program or plan or vision in order for that to succeed because everybody has to be on board, isn't it? But you know, it doesn't always happen that way. And sometimes preachers and pastors, even deacons, sometimes they stop in trying to involve everybody because they've come to realize that God chooses to use the faithful few. Hmm. It would be great. It would be nice. It would be good if everybody will be on board. Amen? We'll do the same thing that the Lord has directed a pastor or a church for His glory. But it doesn't happen that way. We see that across churches in America, in the Philippines, and all over the world. It would be nice if everyone would come out to prayer meeting and stay at the end to pray, isn't it? It would be nice if you would uh, pray because it's not you need to, but you want to. Amen? Because it's what God wants you to do. It's an obedience to His command. It will do you great good and benefit to pray to the Lord, to pray for many needs, to pray for yourself. It's nice if everybody would tithe. Amen? You know, if everybody just tithes here as a trust fund, as a basic standard of giving to the Lord, you know what? We can, we can enlarge our coast. We can, we can buy a new property if just everybody tithes. You know? Malachi 310. You know? And it's biblical. Amen? It's a blessing to give unto the Lord. What is that ratio? 90% to me, 10% to God. What if God flip it? 
90% to me, 10% for you. No. You think we'll survive? But is a matter of trusting God. God is asking for your faith and trust to give him that 10%. So he will bless you for the rest of 90% and it will go further than you'll ever anticipate. The key thing there is to put God first. God doesn't want our money. He's rich. He can provide. But he wants your obedience. He wants your trust. You know? And beyond that, the 90% that God gives you, you can also help with other needs in the church, other people's need, and he will just bless you. And you know what? You are investing and building and growing your bank account in heaven anyways. Amen? Because whatever you give to the Lord will come back to you in manifold ways. I'm not just talking about money, but your time, your talent, your treasure, your testimony. Give it to God, and he will bless it, and you'll be happy. Amen? You're investing to something for eternity. It would be nice if everybody will give to Faith Promise Mission. Amen? To help those missionaries to continue to preach the gospel so when they are sick, you know, they have something to buy medicines for so they could visit their members who are devastated by, by typhoons and, and different tragedies. It would be good if everybody would say, you know what? I like to build God's kingdom. I want to help those missionaries be able to preach so I'll give this sacrificially. I'll give this by faith. It would be nice. It would be great if everybody will do that. But it's not happening. It would be nice if everybody will witness, as God says in Acts 1.8, Matthew chapter 28. It would be nice if everybody's living right and walking with the Lord. But you know what? There are always faithful few, by the grace of God, who are doing those things. But the question is, would you like to be part of that faithful few? Years ago, Jerry Falwell started this... Uh, what we call moral majority. If you know Jerry Falwell, he's the president of Liberty University, I believe in Virginia, and started a great church. He's a great Christian voice here in America for many years. He passed away some time, and he started this thing called moral majority. That's a nice name and a nice thought, isn't it? But truly, if you are moral here in America right now, you're part of the minority, isn't it? It's true. But you know what? In the Bible... It was the minority that believed God and got into the ark in the times of Noah. Amen? Eight souls out of millions of people. And Noah preached for 120 years. Repent. Turn to God. There's judgment coming because of your sin. I'm building this ark. I'm preaching the righteousness of God. I'm preaching the judgment of God. But the people just mock him and laugh at him and say, Oh, you're a fool, Noah. You've never seen rain anymore. How can this judgment come? 120 years he was preaching while he was like hammering those nails putting that ark together but only a faithful few take heed of the word of God and they were saved from the rest of that people in that world during that time it was also the minority of the spies who saw the promised land as God's gift to Israel and the enemy as defeatable but the other 10 says no there's giants in the land we're just grasshoppers even though they already heard the promise of God that he will give them that land. Even though they already experienced victories after victories in their battles. But they said, oh, we cannot defeat the enemy. We're too small. They forgot that they are serving a great God. But Caleb and Joshua, amen? He said, even though they're the minority, they voiced out their faith in God. and said, we can conquer. That's why they're the only two 
were able to get into the promised land. The rest died off. Amen? In the wilderness. And they wandered for 40 years because they did not listen to the minority. It was also the minority who believed Jesus was the Son of God and the minority who followed him even after he proved it by rising from the dead. Isn't it? The disciples, 120 brethren in the upper room, not the whole people in Israel. Actually, they just crucified him. But it was the minority. And the disciples and Apostle put Pete, uh, Paul turned the world right side up with the gospel. You see, I'm proud to report that just as it's always been in God's economy, even if you're a minority with God on your side, you are always a majority. Would you rather have that, folks? You know, today is the minority who is truly faithful to church and the minority who believes in creation instead of evolution. Minority who believes in saving themselves for marriage. Sad to say, isn't it? With the culture right now, oh, everybody's doing it. Everybody's fornicating. Oh, it's just a normal thing. No, God's word is still there. It's still right. It still needs to be obeyed. To be pure is a blessing. Oh, everybody's doing it. Uh, I'm just a minor. No, don't believe that. That's a lie from the pits of hell. God wants the best for you. But for those who fail and everything, thank God, God is a God of second chance, isn't it? That's why we're warning the others. Keep yourselves pure in the love of God. Because the majority is not always right. But if you're a minority with God and his word, then you're a majority before God. I'm proud to report to you, just as it has always been in God's economy, as it's still today, the minority is right. And with God, you're always the majority. Nehemiah did what he did as a minority, you see. And in the face of criticism, opposition, and many naysayers, but one person, if he is with God, like Nehemiah of old, makes a majority. So what is Nehemiah? A testimony. Who is Nehemiah? A loyal layman. Just an ordinary guy. Was used by God extraordinarily. Because his God is extraordinary. Thirdly, when did Nehemiah take place? Verse 1, it says, The month of Chisleu in the 20th year. This corresponds with about November or December in our Gregorian calendar. Or the 20th year means of the reign of Arta Xerxes. One, or Longumanus, or his other name which would be 445 BC. It means, to summarize it, it was extremely difficult times in the lives of Israel. Look at verse 3. It says there, Nehemiah chapter 3, that there was great affliction, isn't it? Verse 3, it says, And they said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, those that, that Hanani, I think one of his brothers of Nehemiah, because Nehemiah was born and raised in Persia, he came and certain men of Judah in verse 2 and asked them concerning the Jews that had escaped, which were left in Judah, in Israel, in Jerusalem, of the captivity and concerning Jerusalem. They said unto me, the remnant that are left of the captivity, there is the province, are in great affliction, verse 3, and reproach. Remember Zerubbabel went first, tried to rebuild the temple, and then Ezra came, tried to rebuild the religious uh, and worship, but the walls are still not made, still in ruins, and also the people are in such reproach and affliction. It was says there that it was broken down the walls and the gates thereof are burned with fire. Great affliction and struggle for Israel, not their glory days, 
persecution was at its highest. And we should never think, this is the lesson, practical lesson, we should never think that we cannot accomplish great things in these difficult days. Are we living in difficult days, folks? Yes. Oh, talk about inflation. Hmm? Talk about the pandemic. Talk about the virus, what it has done in businesses, in lives, in community. Yes, it's difficult days. Why? Because we're living in the last days. Perilous times. We're living in days that um, your faith will be tested. Amen? You know, it will be tried. But you know what? God's will being accomplished is not dependent upon favorable circumstances. Let me repeat it again. God's will being accomplished is not dependent upon favorable circumstances, but only upon the power of our almighty God. There you go. It's all about God. It's all about His power. It's all about His presence. It's all about His faithfulness that we can do something for Him, for His kingdom. You see, the darker our world becomes, the brighter our light as Christians can shine. Isn't it? The brighter a room is, when you put out a light, your cell phone, the, the brighter that light shines. It's true. You see, the more difficult the time, the more definite the testimony will stand out. You see this in the life of Nehemiah. The more difficult the time, the more definite the testimony will stand out. Oh, I could think of many illustrations. Uh, personally, I could think of a church member here in our church. She's in very difficult times. But you know what? The more her faith to God is shining out as a testimony. Because wala na po siyang kikilingan pa. Wala na siyang paninindigan pa, kundi ang Panginoon na lang. Everything is already tried. But you know what? God's grace is inexhaustible. His strength is made perfect, the Bible says, in our weakness. Because the more difficult the time, the more definite our testimony will stand out when we come out of that difficult time victorious by the grace of God. You see, the more you were closer to God when you were in difficult times, isn't it? Than in good times. The more you need prayer and the word in difficult times than in good times, smooth times. That's the way it is. That's why every now and then God sends us troubles trials, difficulties, because the more our testimony will shine to this darkened world. When they see, oh, nangyari sa kanya yun? Oh, he had that problem? But look at that. He still goes to church. He still gives his uh, time to God. He's still smiling. He still has a, a happy um, um, perspective in life because he's a child of God. Because he believes on the word. You see, our testimony will stand out. In darkened times. Some are giving in today and saying, you know what, you can't build a church today preaching doctrine and having standards. Mm -hmm. Nowadays, you know what, people want to be entertained. Yes, we live in that day and age. Entertainment. They want to be pumped up and hear feel-good sermons. It's all about positivity. It's all about the good news. It's all about, oh, just receive Christ, you'll be rich. Receive Christ, you'll be healed of your sickness. You receive Christ, it's going to be a bed of roses. No, it's totally opposite from the Bible. Because Jesus Christ himself suffered affliction. Amen? Jesus Christ himself was persecuted. Jesus Christ himself faced and experienced a lot of hardships. He didn't even own a single lot. 
or a house in this world. He says, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He just lived by faith. He just lived obeying the Father's will. You see, people nowadays want to be entertained, pump up, hear feel-good sermons. That's why their church are uh, transformed into like a nightclub, you know, with the dim lights and the dancing lights and uh, like, like just a, a floor. But you know what? A lot of churches also, because of the pandemic, have experienced downsizing, door closed. Pastors were depressed. Christians were depressed. Oh, it's the end of the world. Lord, come na lang. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of living for you. You know? I, we can't build a church anymore. We cannot step out and live in faith to your promises because it's too hard. It's too risky. But you know what? You can still build a church today through the grace of God. Just keep preaching. Just keep teaching. Just ha keep on having standards. Everybody might not be able to do it or follow it, but at least, once again, there's a faithful few. There's a remnant who will still stand for the Lord. You know, I believe we can still build a church and grow it. Amen? Because we are growing. No, there's not just biologically. Amen? I think I'm, I'm the, the first proponent for that but because I'm, I'm, I have the most kids. Well, I'm not just talking about biological growth, but we have people here like Brother Carlito and Brother Alan who would like to start you know, a beginner's class to be baptized, you know, and get to know more about the Word of God. You have Bible studies here that you see men and women growing in their faith and reaching out, witnessing to others, isn't it? You know, we have a uh, good attendance even right now in this first day of full reopening, amen, in our church. We are preaching and teaching the meat of the Word, and there's still a market for it, amen? We preach the milk of the Word here for newborn babes, the meat for those that are Christians for a long time, and also manna. We have milk, meat, and manna here in the church. Amen? For our growth. And you know what? Even though it's just a minority that we are here in the state of New Jersey, in Bergen County, in Lodi, but by God's grace, we can grow. And because of that growth, God can smile at us. God can be happy. You, you see, if you read the book of Acts, we see the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul, and you'll see the greatest revivals happen in the most wicked cities, steeped in idolatry and immorality. Paul shined the light of the gospel, and it pierced the darkness in a flourishing flood of heavenly rays. The more, the darker the place is, the more the gospel light can shine. So wherever you are, Christian, do you think your workplace is a dark world spiritually speaking you can shine the brightest there god can use you student in your school maybe you're the only christian everybody else is cursing their teacher or the president or you know but you can be a light that shine a testimony for jesus you know in your family circle maybe you're the only christian but you can let your your light shine you see in nehemiah it is the most difficult of days but just like today in America, and in Lodi, in your place of work, in school, and in your family, God wants to show himself strong and true. Just let him use you. When did this happen? The book of Nehemiah, in dark days, isn't it? Also, it was just another ordinary day in the life of Nehemiah. When did this book had happened? Just an ordinary day in the life of Nehemiah. Look at verse 1 and 2. You know, in the 20th year, as I was in Sushan, 
the palace. It all sounds very nonchalant, isn't it? We see here in verse 2 and 3, they made some small talk. The subject came up. The, the, the walls are in ruin. Our people are in reproach, in affliction. One thing led to another, and very quickly, Nehemiah was thrust into the ministry and having a burden and a vision to rebuild the walls. Just an ordinary day for him, working at the king's palace, and he heard the news, but God turned that ordinary day to something extraordinary when God burdened him to be the one that will be used in rebuilding the walls. God had the divine appointment arranged for Nehemiah on this day in order to change his life and accomplish God's will. You see, maybe tomorrow you're going to go to work and you say, man, it's another ordinary Monday day for me to go to work. And I have, I'm feeling blues, blue Mondays, you know? Because you just came from a weekend, you still want to rest. But you know what? You never know that an ordinary Monday can be something extraordinary. God can work something special in your life, in your school, in your work, in your family. Just listen closely to God. Look at this example, and I will end. You know, it was an ordinary weekday. You know, uh, it was an ordinary day for Moses when he was in that, you know, wilderness, standing sheep. No? But God spoke to him through a burning bush, and God used him to lead two million people out of captivity, out of bondage in Egypt. It was an ordinary day when David was called from the flocks to be anointed king of Israel. When Samuel the prophet says, do you still have other kids, Jesse? Oh, we have another Rudy small guy, you know, David who's standing. Come, bring him. And Samuel said, he's the next king of Israel. Just an ordinary day for David during that time. It was just an ordinary day when Peter, James, and John were fishing and mending their nets. And then Jesus walked by and they became fishers of men. Isn't it? Just an ordinary day. Medicare cannot be, but God did something wonderful. Isn't it, it was also an ordinary day when probably you heard the gospel. <laughs> Somebody prayed for you. Somebody was just compassionate for you, and they shared to you the gospel. Maybe they invited you to go to church. Just an ordinary day. And you know what? God changed your whole destiny, your direction for all eternity because of that ordinary person or ordinary day. But God made something wonderful out of him. Large doors swing open on small hinges, as they say. Large doors can swing wide open on small hinges. And this could be your pivotal moment. Granted, sometimes God gets our attention by shaking us in ways that are not ordinary. Isn't it? What happened here in America, September 11th, it was just an ordinary day until about 9 a.m., uh, you all know, that tells us that our safety and security is never about human ingenuity and military and economy. Our safety and security is always in the hands of God. Who ever thought that that day will change the whole history of America, even today? It was just an ordinary day when Hurricane Katrina and even Sandy hit here. Amen? It's just an ordinary day since the shooting in Sandy Hook, Connecticut that changed the security setting of every school. It's just an ordinary day that had influenced the rest of other days. But God can turn an ordinary day to something splendid and wonderful if you'll just allow him. 
Where did Nehemiah take place? In Susan the palace. Susan the palace. What was Nehemiah, a Jew, doing in Babylonian king's palace? Cupbearer, most trusted influential man, as I said a while ago. 150 years before this, the Babylonians had conquered Israel, destroyed Jerusalem, leading many of the Jews off to Babylon as prisoners. Why did God allow this? I thought he loved his people. I thought they were the chosen nations. I believe it was because Israel repeatedly ignored God's pleas for them to abstain from idolatry. They returned to idols over and over again. And so God said, you want idolatry? I'll send you to the fountainhead of it all. I'll send you to Babylon. It's full of idols. You see, what's the lesson here? God may give you what you are insisting and give you a shove in that direction so you can see his way really was best after all. Then you can learn the lessons better and by God's grace come back to him. He's teaching the children of Israel something. 100 years later, 50 years previous to Nehemiah's day, a group of Jews was permitted to return to Babylon and rebuild the temple under Zerubbabel, then of course under Ezra, but the walls were never repaired. That's why God burdened Nehemiah. And let's say this question, who cares about the walls? <laughs> who cares about the walls? In those days, they were everything. Amen? So you see, building a wall is scriptural. Amen? It's biblical. As in a sovereignty of a nation. Sana nakikinig yung ating mga politiko. Diba? Why? Because a wall stood for protection. It's a deterrent. A wall speaks for separation. It's a distinguished factor, distinguishing factor. We need this wall still today. Amen? God's people, Christians, should look like Christians, not the world. Amen? There should be a distinction from God's children and the devil's children. Amen? Sometimes it's mixed. It's blended. You can even, even recognize, oh, are you a Christian? Yeah, but you look like the world. So a wall is a separation, a protection, and also it's for glorification, like a diadem. It has curb appeal for God's glory, amen? Not high class, but first class, clean. Also for anticipation. Not just for protection, for separation, glorification, but anticipation. The prophets, as we know, had foretold that the walls would have to be rebuilt first before Christ would come to earth to be our Messiah. It's part of his grand theme, grand plan. And God used Nehemiah to do that, to start that prophetic clock of having Christ being born here and there. That's why we see in verse 3 and 4, when Nehemiah heard about the broken walls, it broke his heart. It became his burden and his responsibility to fix it. Why was he in Susan the palace? It was a great position to have, as we see in verse 11. It was a lucrative government position, like being in the secret service or the bodyguard to the president. Because you would, as I said, as a cupbearer, taste his food first, and he was his personal assistant. History tells us that to have this position like Nehemiah, a cupbearer, he has to be handsome, cultured, and knowledgeable. And because he had daily access to the king, he had great influence. And God gave him favor in the eyes of the king to go back his homeland to rebuild the walls. Here was a man who had it made. No, Nehemiah, yeah. He's living in comfort. He lived the way the king lived. He ate the way he ate. He dressed the way he dressed in the lap of luxury. Who cares? Who cares about the broken walls? 
Who cares about the sins of his ancestors and some walls a thousand miles away? It was not Nehemiah's fault. You see, many people don't know. Many people don't want to know what's going on because knowledge always brings responsibility. It's true, yes. Sometimes, naging ulyanin na lang or don't care na lang apathetic because knowledge brings responsibility. You have the knowledge of God's word, it brings responsibility. You gotta be obedient to it because you'll be accountable. We'll be held accountable when we face God. Nehemiah's heart was broken by the news and he volunteered to do something about it. He left comfort and security, trading it all for the rigors of a ruined city. He exchanged prestige for poverty and comfort for criticism and royalty for ridicule. He left an easy job to do an impossible task. I really have to end. Amen? The lesson of this book. There you go. The kingdom of God and his church are built by those who are willing to sacrifice. Take note of that. Underline that. Are you willing to sacrifice God's people as we launch this project, Nehemiah? As we have a great vision for the Lord? As we start some outreach ministries, especially during the spring and summer? Huh? Witness to our community? Because the kingdom of God and His church are built by those who are willing to sacrifice and leave their comforts. We've been too comfortable. Amen? Are you willing to leave your comfort zone? Comedian Flip Wilson used to say, when people ask him what was his religion, he would reply, I'm a Jehovah's bystander. I'm a Jehovah's bystander. I was invited to be a Jehovah's witness, but I did not want to get that involved. You see, sometimes Jehovah has plenty of bystanders. But I wonder who God is calling right now on this ordinary day to do something extraordinary for him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for your word today. Thank you, Lord. You can only scratch the surface of this introductory message about Nehemiah. But you've taught us something. You reminded us something already. Thank you, Lord, for being our extraordinary God. You are alive and awesome and powerful. You are the creator of all things. You hold all things into its rightful place. Without you, Lord, we are doomed. We are nothing. Our lives will have no meaning or purpose. And what we have heard today, what our worship had done for our souls today, only eternity will tell, Lord, if we will just allow it to really sink in, internalize it, most of all, exercise it, apply it in our Christian lives. Is there anybody here today before I end this invitation? Um, God has spoken to you in a simple way. Um, God reminded you of something, a devotion, a commitment that you've made in the past. And you want to tell God, Lord, I want to do it faithfully until you come. You can now have that prayer time, prayer moment before him. Is there anybody here who've never trusted Christ as their Savior? You've never really experienced the saving knowledge, saving grace of this wonderful God who loved you. This is now the time to accept Him, trust Him by faith. We always extend this invitation. If you're here today, if you don't really know for sure if you die, that you have a home in heaven, that your sins have been forgiven. I'm not just telling you just to scare you that there's a hell. 
there's a place of judgment that a person who is unrepented will go for the rest of eternity. I'm not just trying to scare you, but it's the reality of life. It's what the Bible teaches. There's judgment coming. Hell is still hot for those that will reject God's love. But if you're here today, you can listen to the sound of my voice. You want to settle it once and for all. You say, I want to be born again to God's family. I want to be saved. I want to have my sins forgiven. I want to have a relationship with the Lord. Renew. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. It's simple. You can call to Him. Ask Him to save you. You can pray this way. Pray this way. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. I repent of all of it. Forgive me, Lord. And I know that you died on the cross for my sins. You shed your blood. And you rose again to save me. Right now, by faith, I ask you and I call upon your name. Save me. Come into my heart and life to be my Lord and personal Savior. Thank you for saving me today. And help me to know you and live for you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You never know. We just keep on presenting the gospel. Never know. Somebody will hear this. And convict, be convicted of their sins and their need of a Savior. But for Christians here, the challenge is clear. You might say, oh, I'm not much in the eyes of God. I don't have great talents. I don't have great wealth. But you know what? God can use you as an ordinary person. A layman. You may say I'm an ordinary church member, but you have an extraordinary God. He can use you mightily. If we can just put all our efforts together, amen, as a body, as a team, as a local assembly, we can accomplish something good, something great. Will you be that person? Who will say to me, Pastor Sam, I'd like to be that person. I'd like to be part of that faithful few or a remnant. You can raise your hand, anybody? By God's grace, thank you, you can put it down. By God's grace, I will try by God's grace to be faithful. I will be more involved. I'll be active in the programs of the church, in the visions of the church. Because it's one way for me in building the kingdom of God. Building my spiritual life building my spiritual reward in heaven. Today I learned, I was reminded that yes, I could build something here on earth, but it's just temporary. My house, my car, my job, my family is not eternal. It would be best if we will use what God has given us. Our jobs, our family, our resources, our time, our talent, our treasure. Also, in building the work of God. That will be an awesome decision. An awesome thing to do. As we're already in the second month of this brand new year. Never know how much time we have, isn't it? The Lord may come very soon. With everything that's happening in the world. He might call you home. Child, it's time for you to go home. You cannot serve me anymore. You don't have time to give your tithes. The faith promise missions. No more time to witness to others. No more time. Time's up, my child. It's time to go home. And your journey here on earth is over. Maybe God is using something in your life today. I don't know. Something to shake us up. Something to shake you up. 
sudden sickness, sudden accident, sudden loss. Maybe God is trying to slow you down. Sa- trying to make you reflect of your life before Him. Because probably we've been so focused in the temporal things of this world. We've been so focused with our own entertainment, with our own goals. And we've left out God's primary goals in our lives. It's between you and the Lord. Maybe you know somebody or someone who needs this message. I need this. I needed this message. So just give it to God. I will not ask you to come in the front, but in the altar of your heart, pray to the Lord. This is one of the most important part of our service. Make a decision. Make a commitment before God right now. Lord, I want to be like Nehemiah. Just an ordinary guy whom God used some extraordinary ways to build his kingdom, to, to do his will. Let's ask God for his grace, for his mercy, for his strength. Father in heaven, as your people pray, you know their hearts. You're the God who fearfully and wonderfully made us. You can search our innermost being. You know what we are thinking even right now. You know what our plans are. But help us, Lord, to be always in tune with you, in sync with you. Because living for you, Lord, is the best kind of life. Serving you with our family, giving you our talents and time and treasure is the best kind of life for a Christian because it's a life worth living. And we know, Lord, there are so much destruction and deception in the world right now. The materialism, the entertainment, pleasure-seeking society that we have is trying to rob us away from our fellowship with you. So help us, Lord, to be wise. Help us, Lord, to be just go always back to your word and prayer in the church because we can never live without you, Lord. We can never live a life that is meaningful and happy and blessed without you, Lord, in our lives. So bless any decision made today. Give you all the glory, honor, praise, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.